You are listening to the Healthcare Analytics Podcast with your host, Caleb Loya. Working with me to make this podcast possible is my teammate, Tatsuya Murao. Earlier this week, I read a couple of articles about two Google engineers who were essentially suspended from their jobs because they claimed that the chatbot that they were working on was essentially sentient, that it had an unconsciousness or at least a level of unconsciousness that was embedded in or lived inside this deep learning algorithm. Now, the deep learning algorithm was called Lambda, L-A-M-D-A, and they essentially had this conversation with this specific chatbot and they asked it a series of questions. Fundamentally, it claimed to be a person and then it claimed to have knowledge of its own existence. Fundamentally, these two engineers decided to have a private interview between both of them and this chat algorithm called Lambda. And Lambda, for example, in in what I understand, is essentially a conversation technology deep learning algorithm. Now, I'll get into what that means later when we talk about neural networks. But fundamentally, what this means is that it's essentially like a chatbot that you see on the internet. So suppose you have a question about something and the option is to talk to a chatbot. Usually you're talking to a chatbot that can lead you through a series of questions in order to resolve your problem or to get you to the right place. And these chatbots have become quite advanced in what you can ask it, how it can respond, etc. And so these two engineers decided to ask Lambda, which is Google's one of Google's chatbot technologies, about itself. And so when you start asking an algorithm about itself, it's kind of interesting in and of itself because if you know anything about Amazon and Alexa, then you can start to understand what people mean by chat. Because if you ask, for example, your your Alexa that if you have it on your phone or if you have it in your house, then you can ask Alexa specific questions. You can ask it to order things online, etc., And it will then go through those operations to get you what you need as a chatbot or as a conversation algorithm. Now, in the early days, Siri used to be one of the most advanced algorithms for conversations or asking a questions. But since Siri kind of fell off the map, now Amazon Alexa and then Google have begun down the path of improving their deep learning algorithms to an impressive point. Now, going back to these two engineers, now, when they say something is sentient, it's it's kind of difficult to know what they mean by sentient. And so I'm going to take a step back from talking about this one story about these two Google engineers and Lambda. I'm going to now explain what a neural network is and how that leads into deep learning. Because if you understand what a neural network is, then you can start to decipher what Google engineers are really trying to get at when it comes to a sentient being that has unconsciousness. So don't freak out and stay with me through this explanation because I promise you it's going to be well worth it especially in this new world where our deep learning algorithms are becoming more and more advanced. 
So what is a neural network when it comes to machine learning and data modeling? How did neural networks become so pervasive and what do they mean on a technical level? I like to think about neural networks as an imitation of your brain. If you think about the brain and the functions of the brain, it has several different areas of the brain, but within those specific areas, it has different neurons. And these neurons are the key to your brain's ability to compute, to process different functions within your body, and then to make specific actions. And these neurons, if they're firing correctly, can achieve incredible things. It can help derive calculations that are quite impressive. And so if you think about the brain of, for example, Einstein, I'm sure his neurons and the way that his brain worked was quite incredible. And for anybody who is a Nobel laureate or anybody who is advanced in math, if you look at their brain functions, then there are specific parts of the brain that are just lit up like nobody's business. Likewise, if you look at, for example, the brain of an engineer versus the brain of an artist, then you're going to see that they have different parts of the brain that they rely on for certain functions. All this to say is that as the brain works with neurons, so machine learning and or deep learning and neural networks work in the same way. What a neural network is, is it essentially is a way of having nodes that can compute inputs and then derive outputs. So like you have neurons in your brain's nodes in a neural network act in the same way. They connect different pieces of information together and throw out an output that can then be reprocessed or acted upon. So with a neural network, it first begins with a series of inputs. And these series of inputs can be any kind of input. It can be data inputs from a database. It could be external inputs. It could be inputs such as images or pictures or anything like that. But there are a series of inputs that are then categorized in specific nodes. So every node has specific inputs at the original level. And then you have what you call a hidden layer or a series of hidden layers in between. And so those inputs connect to all of the nodes within that hidden layer. And so if you have, let's say, one input that has a series of images, then that input will then feed data into all the nodes within the hidden layer. And so if you have, let's say, four inputs and you have, let's say, five or six different nodes within a hidden layer, then you will have each input node going to the specific nodes within the hidden layers so that there's an inter interconnection and that there's a neural network or just a network. And so over time, you can see that there's a network of all these nodes where the beginning is this input and then you have the neural network that then has different layers of nodes that then produces an output at the end. And depending on what the neural network does, then the output layer decides on different items. Now you may ask, okay, what are these nodes and how do they work? Because if you think about a network and or a series of connected nodes where the beginning nodes are the ones that have the inputs and then you have a lot of hidden nodes in between and then you have your outward nodes, which are your outer layer that make decisions. So once you understand that, then the question is, 
What is in those specific nodes? What kind of processing does these specific nodes have in deriving the calculations that you need? And this is where our previous understanding of data modeling comes in, because those different modes can act differently depending on what they are supposed to do or what area of the neural network they are. So just like a brain, if you're writing or if you're doing arithmetic, one piece of your brain, most likely your prefrontal cortex, will be trying to work through the logic of a specific writing assignment or doing math in your head. So does a neural network have specific areas in that neural network that act in different ways and the nodes do different things. And so if you have a node in one specific area of our neural network, it could be running a linear regression. And so every single node within that area is going to be running a linear regression. And so if you don't quite understand what a linear regression is, go back to our original, one of our original videos about data modeling and linear regressions, and it will explain to you how a linear regression works. And so instead of running one linear regression, you're running multiple and thousands of linear regressions within this neural network. And it takes an input from another node and then creates an output that can then go to another node. And so these nodes are essentially processing different pieces of information that come through and then providing outputs so that another node can then produce and or process the specific functions it needs at the next layer. So the more layers you have for those hidden nodes or those hidden layers, then the more complex your neural network will be. Typically, a neural network that is a simple neural network will have two hidden layers where you have an, a layer of inputs, then you have a couple hidden layers, and then you have an output layer that outputs the information you need. And those specific nodes could be running a series of different functions and or algorithms within those nodes. It could be a regression algorithm. It could be a polynomial regression. It could even be a decision tree or anything of the sort. It could even be k-nearest neighbors depending on the data that comes in. Because remember, if you have a hidden node then it could be taking in five or six different inputs. And so you could be running many different kinds of algorithms and or processes within those nodes. And it gets quite complicated, but one of the ways I like to think about it is like your brain, where it has many different neurons that's taking information from many different pieces and then processing it to determine an outcome. And a simple neural network could only be dealing with, let's say, four or five inputs, and then you have your hidden layers in between, and then one or two or three outputs. And in that case, you could have a node within a hidden layer that only takes in five or six different inputs, and then outputs it to another node within a hidden layer or to an output. But if you have an advanced or more complex neural network, you could have one node that is in a hidden layer that can then be taking information from thousands and thousands of other nodes. And if you think about the computational power that is needed to drive these neural networks, it's quite impressive. Like, yes, you can build out your own neural network on your local computer, but when you're talking about petabytes of data, then that's when you need a lot of processing power to determine outcomes for the specific inputs that you have. 
So now that you understand the fundamentals of what a neural network is, I'm going to share with you three kinds of neural networks that are most used today. The first one was called the perceptron. Now that sounds like something from science fiction, but the perceptron was essentially developed in the 1950s for this kind of use. So it took multiple inputs into one layer that then produced an output. And so what it did was it took multiple input nodes, they all came to one or a set of intermediate nodes that then produced an output. And so this perceptron idea was developed in the 1950s, but then perfected into what now they call multi-layer perceptron or forced forward neural networks. And all that means is that instead of the perceptron, which is essentially inputs that derive into one node that then provides an output, multi-layer means essentially what we've been talking about all along to where you have a series of input nodes that then go to a series of nodes in multiple hidden layers that then produce an output or a series of output nodes. But remember, in the 50s, there wasn't much in terms of computational power. So they had to do the best they could with the computational power they had available. But as technology and Moore's law helped to improve computational power, then more advanced neural networks were able to be built. And so with the beginning of AWS and Google in the early 2000s, then that's when you start to see more advanced algorithms in the form of neural networks. The second kind of neural network is called a convolutional neural network. And these are used more so for image recognition. The reason why it's used for image recognition is because the specific nodes within the neural network can process images really, really quickly, depending on what it needs. And so you can have one node that's processing one piece of information from an image, and you can have another node processing another piece, like is it red, is it blue, etc. cetera. Um, and all these nodes come together to make an end decision. And this kind of neural network has been and is used in Tesla's AI when it comes to its self-driving car. It can go in real time and recognize what is a stop sign, where is a crosswalk, what is a semi, etc. And so all of these things are quite interesting, but there are other applications that are used for convolutional neural networks or CNNs. And the other one is facial recognition. And this is kind of scary, but China is one of the most advanced entities when it comes to facial recognition using convolutional neural networks because it uses live image recognition to recognize when people walk outside their house, what they're doing, etc. And after the Beijing Olympics, China began to sell this level of technology to other countries, mostly developing countries who wanted the same capability. And it's quite powerful. So, for example, in the World Cup that's going to take place this year, most likely than not, there's going to be neural networks set up for facial recognition in real time that most likely will use some form of convolutional neural network. And this is the new world we're living in. And so if you go to any major city like LA, New York, Chicago, and Dallas, then 
that convolutional neural network can then start to read your license plate and track where cars are on the road, etc. And this kind of thing isn't going away. This is something that will be more and more common as we advance in the level of computational power so that you can have a small town that can have the ability to monitor and to operate these kinds of neural networks where before it would only be the CIA and other large governmental organizations. So the last kind of neural network is a recurrent neural network. And this recurrent neural network or RNN These kinds of neural networks are used for feedback loops, for predictions and forecasting. So it's very common to use these when it comes to forecasting different models in outcomes for weather, in outcomes for stocks and trading that goes on in the public stock market. And it can be used for anything that needs to build out a prediction. So it could be financial predictions. It could be predictions based on specific inputs. It can also help to predict health outcomes, right? And so if you have a series of different inputs based on your level of health, your heart rate, etc., then it can also be used to predict the likelihood of specific diseases for an individual or for a group, etc. And so there are very, very powerful kinds of ways that neural networks can be used for the benefit of improving health in our normal everyday lives. So now that we understand what a neural network is and the three types of most common neural networks with multilayer perceptron, convolutional neural networks, and recurrent neural networks, then the question is, what is deep learning and what in the world does deep learning have to do with neural networks? So all deep learning is is a name that refers to neural networks that are deeper than one or two hidden layers. And so if you have, let's say, four or five hidden layers, then you're getting more into the territory of deep learning than you are neural networks. And so if you have more and more complex neural networks, then it tends more and more towards deep learning instead of building a neural network that lives on your computer. So while we're on the subject of building neural networks yourself, one of the ways we have used neural networks at Arcos Analytics is using TensorFlow with Python to build out some basic neural networks for clients in the healthcare industry. And TensorFlow is a great way to start because it's a library within Python that is very well documented and easy to use for neural networks. And so it's like instead of building out, let's say, a linear regression in Python or a decision tree in Python, you can then use TensorFlow to then build out a neural network that can then be compared to other kinds of models that you have built out. So with that aside, and you understanding what deep learning is, I'm going to go back to my original story about Lambda, the AI chatbot from Google, and it being sentient. Now, what in the world do they mean by it being sentient in the first place? Because if you ask, for example, like they did, if they asked if Lambda, this deep learning algorithm was sentient, it said, yes, I am. But that doesn't necessarily mean it is. And the other thing I have to say about it is, suppose you ask Alexa, you know, the AWS chatbot, if it is sentient, for example, it's going to have a stock answer to give you because many, many people have asked that question and you don't really want to freak the population out. And so 
essentially what has happened with this Google engineer that got us suspended is that he got suspended more so because he was freaking out the population, meaning that many people in the public sphere are going to look at that and say, well, what's going on in these Google labs that are developing these machine learning algorithms? And should we help to craft these algorithms in ways that they don't go awry, you know? So that if you're talking to a Google chatbot online, it doesn't necessarily tell you that you should drink water because you haven't drank water enough today or etc. So all I'm trying to say is that as humans, we don't like robots necessarily ruling over us, but we like to be in cooperation or we like it to work for us. So if I'm going to veer into this territory of where machine learning is going to take us with deep learning and neural networks, I'm going to say that one of the most things that I think is most important is for us to understand that there should be a dialogue about how these algorithms are crafted. Because these are private algorithms that are being used, for example, at Google and at Tesla, then those are private algorithms that are then being built. But we should at least understand as a public what's going on with those algorithms. Because if not, we're going to end up in a situation like uh, our fellow Chinese citizens across the world where China is essentially using these deep learning algorithms to control their populations in crazy ways. But if you were to ask me if something like Lambda is sentient or not, then I'm not really sure what to tell you. But what I do know is that I've read at least enough science fiction to know what the conversation is all about. So if you read science fiction like Dune, for example, the author of Dune, Frank Herbert, talked about the dilemma between humanity and robots in the first few pages of that entire book. And he came up with this concept called the OC Bible that essentially touches on specific moral frameworks when it comes to the relationship between humans and robots. Now, another book that I read was the Enders series. So if you know about Enders Game, the author of the Enders series, who also wrote Enders Game, has an entire book where it touches on a robot assistant or an AI assistant called Jane, who essentially helps Ender out and helps Ender problem solve specific things. And in the book, Speaker for the Dead, Jane is essentially... Ender's AI assistant that lives essentially in his ear and she can talk to him and he can talk to her to problem solve specific things that they are going through on a regular basis. And so in that way, it's very realistic, right? And so you can start to think about it like your phone being your, your personal assistant that's always with you, that can schedule meetings, that can problem solve, that can do math, that can then actually do advanced computational algorithms and talk to you as if you were an individual person. And in the book, it's kind of interesting what happens to this character named Jane, who is an AI assistant to Ender. I'm not going to ruin it for you, but what I'm going to say is it helped me understand what our real everyday life could look like with a personal assistant that can then talk to us, can have emotions or at least express emotions, and that can know an individual human on a very deep level. All this to say is I don't really know if this Lambda chatbot is sentient. 
But what I do know is that it can be hard for Google engineers who have been working on advanced algorithms to determine if something is sentient or not. Because if it says it is, is it really? And if it is not, can you determine if it's not? So there's this ability to falsify something that has helped us out in human existence. But if you can't falsify if something is alive or not, or sentient or not, then it comes down to essentially philosophy. So if I were to ask you, for example, how in the world do you know if you're sentient or not, or how do you know you have an unconscious, then it's hard to know just based on individual experience outside of understanding the work that has been done before. And because of the way that neural networks are built out, you can't necessarily tell the connection between specific nodes that then provide an output. And so if you have Google engineer asking this chatbot specific questions, you can't tell what specifically derived those specific answers unless you ask the chatbot itself. And so... For example, if we have a conversation, you can ask me, hey, how did you arrive to that answer? But then I can really only guess how my brain functions at arriving at that answer because my level of introspection only goes so deep. I can't really tell you which neuron within my brain is able to computate two plus two equals four but it does anyway, and I can't really tell why. And so just the same, this Lambda robot can probably computate many things, but really can't tell you why that's the case because of the nodes that are all interconnected in a way that is hard to decipher the inputs and then decipher what specific nodes are then derived to then determine an output. So it's complicated, right? Because even if we were to ask something like, let's say Alexa, if it was sentient or not, or has a soul, and it says, yes, of course I have a soul. And you ask, okay, how do you know you have a soul? Well, it's a, it's a complicated answer, right? It's not just a yes, no kind of thing, but the, the neurons and or the specific nodes within that neural network have to at least understand what a soul is in order to do so. And so if you feed these neural networks more and more information, then it can come up with different outcomes, but is it repeatable, right? And so if I were to go in and I were to ask that same algorithm, do you have a soul or not? Or what is the purpose of your existence? Then you're going to get an interesting answer. And I wonder if you'll get the same answer if you ask Lambda that same question. So I'm just trying to apply some science and repeatability to the claims of these two rogue data scientists at Google. So if you have any questions about other machine learning algorithms or the topics that we have talked about in data modeling, then feel free to reach out to us at podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at arcosanalytics.com. You can also find us on Twitter and LinkedIn if you want to find us there. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to you later. 